1: If you're interested in learning how to study and teach the Bible in a flexible, affordable format, LifeWay Women Academy is where you begin. LifeWay Women Academy
0: is online courses for women by women. When you sign up for a course, you'll gain immediate and indefinite access to teaching sessions from some of today's top theologians with deep dives into topics like how to study the Bible for yourself, what we believe, and more. Plus, you can take these courses at your own pace and revisit the content whenever you'd like. Learn more and discover current course offerings today at lifeway.com slash academy. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman and I'm here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey Kelly. Hey Elizabeth, how are you? I'm good. Um, It's a little rainy today, but, you know, that's the spring. That's the springtime. It
1: is spring. It is springtime. But we have a fun guest that um, I'm super excited because I've had this conversation a little bit with her before, but now she's got a book coming out. So thank you for being on the podcast today, Katie McCoy.
2: So good to be with you both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry, what you do.
2: So I serve as director of administrative women for Texas Baptists, also called Baptist General Convention of Texas. And um, it's, it's a denominational role that has me traveling around Texas and uh, in many cases outside the state too, whether it's doing women's events or teaching or uh, even doing some things where it's associational gatherings of multiple churches together to get to do trainings and teachings. And so it keeps me on my toes. My favorite thing is when I get to go to individual churches, talk to women's ministers or women's ministry teams. And we just have a whiteboard with a marker and we're brainstorming ideas. And it's always incredible to see the light bulb go off where women in churches go, Oh, you mean we have this opportunity? We could be doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing. So all those ingredients, um, the way I describe it is I'm like that website where you type in the ingredients that you have in your house and say, what can I make with this? A lot of times there are churches and women's ministries specifically where they've got all kinds of ingredients and they just don't quite know what to make of it. And so I get to come in and with just a few creative ideas and some conversations, we are you know, making cakes and uh, all kinds of things. So it's really, really fun to, to get to see what women in their storehouse already, the opportunities there and what they can create with it. Absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah. That's and a great I, analogy, too. So I
0: website.
1: know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, Elizabeth, um, we have a lot of listeners in Texas. And we know that. But one of the things that I think people tend to forget. So when you say, hey, I serve women in Texas, it, it really like Texas is a huge state. It's not like you get in your car and you're a couple hours away. Like you get on
2: planes to get from one part of the state to the other. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes. And multiple times. So I'm going to be in El Paso a couple of different times this year. It's a different time zone. It is a very vast state with different subcultures and uh, different needs. And um, of course, I'm in the DFW area, but then you've got Houston, which is itself an enormous metroplex, San Antonio, Waco, Galveston, Lubbock, Amarillo, El Paso. There's just, it doesn't stop. So we have uh, quite a, literally a lot of ground to cover. And so one of the challenges is trying to wrap your arms around the state and get a sense of what all the needs are out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it takes multiple. I, I do know a lot of people from Texas though. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In
2: fact, one of the things that I started, we just launched it this year, was a training program called WELL, Women Equipped to Learn and Lead. And it's just a monthly meeting online, all over Zoom. And it's book discussions or hearing from different um, authorities in certain fields. Next month, we're doing a session on exegesis of going through passages of how to really study using online tools. And um, it's the way I describe it is it's, it's more than a conference, but less than a class because women are constantly wanting more training, but they don't have much bandwidth to sign up for it, which is one of the reasons I love what Lifeway Women's Academy and uh, it's just such an easy thing from well into Lifeway Women's Academy because it's that, it's that mindset of how do we take the training to women where they are. Um, and so we're doing it once a month. But what I love about what Lifeway is doing is, is sort of taking it up a notch without uh, the financial or time commitment of a full seminary degree. Yeah.
0: Uh, and we're excited because you'll be teaching one of our courses coming up soon. <laughs> yes. Well, a yes. I know you can look forward to that um, over the summer for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of things that people can get excited about this summer, you have written a book that touches on a subject that our culture has been wrestling with in many ways. And I think this is what Kelly was referring to about the conversations y'all have had together. The title is called To Be a Woman, and it addresses the subject of gender identity and gender dysphoria. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book? I know those terms, like we hear those terms, but a lot of us probably don't really even even understand what those terms mean.
2: Yeah, so we are living in a time where it seems like overnight, this has gone from the fringe to the mainstream, and it is affecting an entire generation of uh, adolescents and young adults, disproportionately girls. And the reason that's such a big headline is that historically gender dysphoria, meaning someone who feels like their uh, biological sex and their sense of gender, whether they're a man or a woman is out of alignment. That was historically something that, um, young boys struggled with. And when I say struggled with, I mean like a fraction of a percent. It was an extremely rare thing. Now, uh, the, the numbers have really shifted and it is, it is more girls, more uh, natal females than boys, and it has just exploded. And one of the challenges that our culture is dealing with, but especially Christians are dealing with, is not only how do we respond to it, but how do we even make sense of it at first? Mm-hmm. So the book explores several different aspects of it. It is um, designed for mothers, ministers, uh, and then also someone who is seeking or struggling Mm -hmm. because uh, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a medical doctor, um, but I've I've tried to get all of the best information from those professionals, distill it down to here are the common aspects or the common uh, threads that are woven in and out of this conversation. And how we can understand it, how we can be talking about it, and how we can help really combat most of uh, uh, what we're seeing in, in the culture today with just simple uh, a theological framework that is answering and countering the deep questions about what it means to be a human today. Mm-hmm.
1: It's such a, such a needed subject right now, and I mean, I just... Wherever I am, it doesn't matter what part of the country I'm in, I'm hearing women ask these questions, or they are having someone in their family that is struggling with the issue. And I love how you state in the main idea of the book is female identity is socially guided, philosophically formed, relationally confirmed Biologically grounded and theologically bestowed. And like, there's a lot in that kind of, you know, definition. So, Katie, like, maybe unpack that for us a little bit. And I really, I think it'd be good for our women to hear some about your research and then like why you are the person that we really wanted to write this book.
2: Oh, well, thank you. I, um, uh, each of those phrases that you listed represents a whole chapter. So, I will I'll give you a brief overview of what what they mean. And then you'll, you'll see, hopefully when you get the book that you can really unpack uh, all of those things. So socially guided uh, means that society is helping influence how people understand themselves as either a man or a woman. And there are several factors that are influencing that today. One of the big ones affecting adolescent young girls is what um, is called a social contagion meaning people uh, recognize maybe positive attention that they get from uh, adopting a particular identity or habit or set of beliefs or behaviors, and they take that on. The other aspect, too, is many, many young girls are using a sense of transgender identity not because they're transgender at all, but because there's something else going on. And this is sort of where they latch on to uh, and express that sense of emotional distress. Well, in a society that looks at uh, someone saying, you know, I just feel out of sync with my body. I think I'm trans. uh, A society is guiding women to respond to that a certain way. So it is socially guided. And then on the positive, though, this is what Parents and families and communities do all the time. We guide socially one's sense of what it means to be a male or a female. Uh, the trouble is now, in the last 15, 20 years, that's all been turned upside down on its head. This uh, phys- is philosophically formed, is that we're going through some of the, the biggest ideas, the most underlying ideas that have shaped our culture today and our own worldviews in ways that we are often unaware. In, in ways that we, uh, it's like it's in the water. And so we have been drinking it our whole lives and not even realized. And it has culminated, and it's finding its expression in this transgender craze. So looking at what those ideas are and uh, how they are affecting us as a, as a big picture society. Relationally confirmed means that in your relationships, you are uh, presenting yourself in a way for someone to confirm who you are. We see this in the. Let me start with the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be familiar with uh, the TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney, in the last year, declared himself to be transgender and started this whole process of socially and even surgically transitioning to life as. Uh, Presenting himself as a woman, that included, by the way, facial reconstruction surgery. And between surgery and makeup, when when you look at pictures of Dylan, it, if you didn't know the background, you would think what a beautiful woman, mm-hmm. uh, because it's just the the makeup, the nose shape, the, the the cheekbones, it's all so different. And he underwent full facial reconstruction surgery uh, called feminization surgery to appear as a woman. But in all of those things, none of that works unless people acknowledge who he is as according to his stated gender identity. So all of these things are efforts for people to be acknowledged and accepted relationally as the gender that aligns with their inner feelings Biologically grounded though, that chapter is where it all kind of pivots and says it is not so simple because the truth is our maleness and femaleness, it goes far beyond even our reproductive anatomy. There are things even in brain functions Mm -hmm. between male and female large patterns studied over time that just demonstrate we can't uh, surgically make ourselves a different gender. It's actually impossible down to the cells in our bodies and we we really miss this too, that every cell this is a biological fact, every cell has a sex, either male or female. Mm-hmm. You cannot get around it. There is no third sex. there is no third there it's either male or female, and God has set up creation mm-hmm. in the binary forms. so you've got night and day, sun and moon, mm-hmm. earth and land or earth and uh sky water and dry ground, like male and female. And so uh, one theologian pointed out that the whole creation narrative is a set of binaries. So this is entirely consistent. And then finally, theologically bestowed, that means that we receive an identity as male or female. Now, we in America like to believe we can make ourselves into whomever we want to be. And to an extent, that is uh, oftentimes true. You know, you can go chart a course for a certain career or you can um, fulfill some lifelong dream that you've had. But even at that, we all have limits and we have those limits because we are still created as finite human beings in God's image. There are aspects of our humanity that we do not get to ascribe to ourselves or bestow to ourselves because we are creations. And one of the greatest fallacies in the transgender narrative is that we can create and recreate ourselves and what it means to be male or female. So that chapter looks at it all through a Christian worldview and says what does it mean to receive an identity? And then beyond that the uh, the chapter right after that goes through some of those some of those really tough questions like pronouns. What do we do and uh, hopefully someone will have hung with me through the book to get to that point. At that point, things can get a little heated. Um, oh, so, uh, but I, I tried very hard to uh, present what I, what I believed was right and true uh, in a spirit of compassion. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to do this. This was not only overflow, not only the overflow of a lot of years of study, but um, the, the irony is that all that study was just sort of an introduction compared to the research that it took to finish this work. So here I thought I had a lot of material. Um, and it's always changing. I can't tell you how frustrating it is yeah. to see something in the news and say, oh, if I was working on the manuscript, this would have made it in there. Yeah. But literally every week there is something new. There is a new expression of all of these things. So just trying to keep up with it. Itself can be a full-time job, but I hope the book helps someone who is feeling bewildered by all of this, perhaps overwhelmed and intimidated. That we don't have to be. This is actually far more simple than our society would like us to believe.
0: Yeah, and I I love the note on like truth with compassion because I think we as believers throughout time have always swung from one pendul- like one end of the pendulum to the other. We're either overly concentrated on truth or overly concentrated on love and grace. And it's both. It's a marriage of both. And so I think as Christians, we're called to have that balance. But it's very difficult, especially when it's all over the place, Um, like you said. And I think that probably answers the next question for us. But why do you think this is an important topic now? And also, why is it an important topic for all of us to read about, even if we Maybe don't have anyone in our immediate circles that is um, looking through this and trying to navigate this. Why? Why should we read it? And then why now?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So the why now is kind of a confluence of a lot of cultural, sociological, and uh, social factors that uh, I address in the book, but but largely. It is the expression of a society that combines um, a postmodern worldview, which says that you know, may, even if truth is out there, we don't have the ability to access it. So at best, truth is just a set of cultural values and stories that people have told themselves. Combine that with uh, a, a view of an individual that says, your truth is what is actually true you don't just need to live your truth it's that whatever you believe is true is the actual truth and anybody that would try to make you fit their box is uh someone who is trying to force you into an inauthentic life and we see this all over don't we that that we value authenticity And, you know, to the extent that we are walking in the light, walking in the truth, that is exactly what we should say. But unfortunately, our society means authenticity is here's me unfiltered with all my feelings and it's all valid because it comes from me and I'm being authentic. Well, we could all be authentic in different directions and wreck our lives you know, if I authentically drove how I want to drive in Texas, I would end up in the hospital, but I'm being authentic. So there are all kinds of things that we can we can choose to do in the name of self-expression and authenticity that are harmful to us. And this is exactly why we as creations of the creator, we need God's wisdom of how to live. Uh, it's one of the the most difficult lessons that we constantly have to bring ourselves into submission to, isn't it? That we are finite, we are dependent on the infinite, but not only that, we don't know what fulfills us, God knows what fulfills us because He made us and He alone understands what it means not only to be human, but to be male or female. So we are confronting truth, or excuse me, truth is confronting that society, but along with that, We have the decline of the influence of religion. And I don't just mean religion in the sense of empty traditions or going to church, but religion in the sense of uh, answering deep questions about meaning and purpose with some type of transcendent truth. So we no longer have a society where you can take for granted that people believe in the existence of God, or that we were created by a God, or that there is an absolute right and wrong. As, as the influence of religion, but specifically the Christian faith, has declined, there, there is always a something to fill that vacuum. It never stays empty. So with the decline of religion from our social consciousness, there is something that has slipped in, in its place, and that is an effort to see all of society through this dynamic of power through the lens of power, that the core problems of humanity are about power dynamics. And so if we want to create a just and good and right world, we have to shift those balances of power. And we are seeing that tied into these gender um, activist narratives. And those gender activist narratives are affecting um, aspects of society, like the school system, like laws, like language, and that only serves to confuse even further vulnerable children. So, why now? Well, we've been heading here for a while, as Carl uh, Truman talks about in his book *Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self*, and then the smaller version of that book called uh, *Strange New World*. So, we've been we've been sort of hurtling to this place for decades. And now we're seeing the fruit of it. But, you know, it's not only limited to gender now. There was something uh, just uh, circulating not long ago, just uh, a few weeks ago now, where a person said that he identified as a hawk. He was an animal. There are some people who feel out of sync with their bodies that they don't even believe they're human. And, And what is the real core of that? The real core of that that we know spiritually is that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. These are not just ideas of different ways of thinking. These are spiritual strongholds. These are demonic forces that are seeking to destroy people created in God's image and seeking to harm them irreparably and suppress the truth of creation that God has imprinted on our bodies, that we are indeed designed by a God that we can know. Mm -hmm. So that is the big 40,000 foot yeah. as to this now.
1: Yeah. And I think too, even going back to, to what you mentioned about even just the compassion and, and how we address this, I think one of the things that I, you know, when I was looking through the manuscript was you mentioned early in the book that 80% of the LGBTQ community come from a Christian or religious background. So when you think about that and you go, okay, there are people in our pews that struggle with their is- with this issue. We have women who are listening to this podcast who have children who are wrestling with this. and But yet we're not talking about it in the church. So... I think we have to ask the question, Katie, like, how can our churches do a better job of helping people through this and loving those who are struggling and and holding true to the biblical truth of God's Word?
2: Yes, I'm so glad you brought up that statistic. Isn't it breathtaking to consider among atheists among people who uh, have no access to the truth? This is happening among people who, whether a Christian worldview or a religious background, they have at least heard some of these core uh, tenets of a religious faith. Um, One thing to keep in mind is that when people are attracted to a transgender lifestyle or transgender identity, more and more what we're seeing is that first it is a coping mechanism for other things, and uh, that it is a question of one's identity. It's a question of one's identity. And where do we look? What, what are we looking for when we're asking questions of identity? We're looking for questions and, of meaning and purpose and worth and significance. These are all the realm of the Christian faith, but specifically the teachings of Jesus that he came to reveal. Here is life. Here is life. It is in being reconciled to your creator through faith in Christ. And it is living for a purpose that is beyond yourself. And Jesus comes answering all of these questions for us. He gives us the secret that we're all looking for. Now, why is this so uh, persuasive among, uh, let's just say the average teenager in your youth group? Well, I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind first. It's very possible that uh, because of the way we talk about biblical womanhood and biblical manhood, we talk about them almost in stereotypical terms instead of how scripture does. And we end up confusing the Bible with our culture. And so children can grow up and say, well, I don't like doing these activities. I don't feel this way. Maybe I uh, am more like what my friends would say. Maybe I am more... Uh, like uh, what I see other people who are outside my church and how they identify, because I don't necessarily fulfill a stereotype. So we need to take a, a a very hard look at how are we presenting biblical womanhood and biblical what it means to be a man or a woman in God's image in right relationship with Him. Second, though, it is very possible that we are simply not equipping young people. To think worldviewishly with a Christian worldview about sexuality and gender starting where they are hearing this and they are hearing it at a younger and younger age. So we need age appropriate um, teaching and explanations for what it means to be a human being and a human being who is embodied. What does it mean that God created our bodies? Can we separate our bodies from our true selves? Or did God create that to be a whole picture? Something where we have different aspects of who we are. That's part of how we image God. But we are one whole complex being. So I think some of it begins with starting early, these conversations about um, humanity, embodiedness, sex, and gender. And then the other thing we have to just be very mindful of is that uh, our, uh, I say our children, I don't have children, but speaking generationally, we have the next generation of children that, are, that is coming up. They are inundated with these ideas and told that this is the key to fulfillment. This is the key to happiness. Couple that with perhaps they have lifelong friends that they've grown up with who seemingly overnight identify with the LGBTQ, um, identity. And that can add a lot of confusion. So I think it is a, a confluence of a lot of different factors, but the the best thing that I think we can do is start talking about this early. Look, if you've got 14 to 21 year olds in your church, in fact, let's change that 12 to 21 year olds in your church, they're hearing about this. Yeah. If, I would say even earlier than that. <laughs> on social media, They're hearing about it in in a public school system. They can very easily be hearing about it as well, depending on the state or community that you're living in. And so if they're on social media at all, they are finding this. In fact, I've heard of uh, twice now, uh, teenagers grown up in the church, uh, no lack of biblical teaching, and they found a way to get around the parental controls of their phones and got on social media that their parents did not know that they were on and within weeks to months were identifying as transgender. So there's there's a lot that parents have to protect their children from today. A lot more than certainly when I was in high school.
0: Yeah, and even I've had friends who have kids that are in like younger elementary age and their friends, I don't know where they've where the ideas first came to them, but their friends are already identifying as different genders and they're like in, you know, second grade. And so I think it, I think it comes, I don't know where all the kids are hearing it. I mean, it's on TV, it's on all the things. So um, it definitely is something that we need to think through as we disciple children for sure.
2: Yes, it, that's, that's just overwhelming too when you think about how there is there is a, a genuine agenda that would point children and parents to uh, what's, what's broadly as affirmative therapy. And um, in some cases, that affirmative therapy can be perhaps neutral if the, if the counselor is trying to just not push a child in a particular direction. But more often than not, it is to push them to embrace a trans identity. You have some doctors or therapists pushing for uh, hormonal intervention to prevent puberty at earlier and earlier ages. And, uh, we have a generation that is going to probably 10 years from now, really Elizabeth, uh, start either. We're going to see more and more lawsuits against doctors, like what has happened in England saying, I can't believe a doctor allowed me to do this. When I was not even old enough to Vote or drink alcohol, like how could this have happened? Um, and the other thing we're going to have to be very prepared for is in about probably three to five years, we are going to see God willing, we're going to see more and more detransitioners come to Christ, and some of those detransitioners, people who pr- did uh, hormonal or surgical uh, alterations to their bodies. Um, perhaps irreversibly damage them, what place do they have in the family of God, Uh, especially if they cannot create biological families of their own? We are going to ask these questions and we are going to have to be very, very prepared and um, welcoming with open arms, the one who comes to Christ having lived in a transgender
0: life. Yeah. And that's something that we'll continue to think through. And we're so grateful for your book that will help start those conversations, start us down the right path, because it's definitely something like you said, it's changing every day. And so there will be more and more nuanced issues that we're looking at in the church um, and in our neighborhoods and in friends. Um, But one thing that we did want to talk to you about while we have you here is um, we've heard you speak a few times on... The stories in scripture that we often think maybe aren't kind to women. Um, we often read about like Levitical laws, cultural stipulations, or household roles with a modern lens. And so we can't always see how they're loving and for the good of the women because we're reading them not knowing all the context. So could you um, just give us very briefly, like how do you handle those difficult passages as women of the word and when you're teaching those passages.
2: Yes. So I think my, my favorite story that would illustrate this is a, a funny story of a, a group of missions that went to another country. And uh, one of the pastors stood up and with a the, with the translator, they were speaking to people who spoke a different language. And they said, you know, we are just so happy to be here. We are just tickled to death. And and the the translator looked at him <laughs> with a confused look, and he said, "Tickled to death, tickled to death." Well, and, and what he ended up translating to the the people in this other language was, "They're so excited that they're scratching themselves until they die." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that funny. My dad was a pastor for so many years, and he told that I thought, "What a perfect example of how things get lost in translation," you know. We have people in professional business settings who understand the importance of knowing the culture that you're trying to communicate with because if you don't, you can inadvertently give offense or you can just misunderstand what they're trying to communicate. So the biggest thing that we have to keep in mind when we're going to these Old Testament laws is we have to culturally translate what is happening. If we were to take our 21st century western american minds and look at this ancient near eastern legal code in a patriarchal culture which by the way patriarchal means something that it's it it, father rule but it's how it was organized doesn't necessarily mean that women were mistreated any more than uh living in a democracy or republic where women can vote necessarily means that women are always treated well we know that women here in America are mistreated every day. Is it that we need a different social structure or is that the problem that we have sinful human beings? So when we look at the Old Testament, we recognize we are, we are looking at a very different culture in a very different era. And we have to put ourselves in the mindset of what these laws would mean to people who originally heard them. And when we do that, we can understand, and not only that, we can glean gold out of them. And and these laws, keep in mind what all of God's laws are. They tell us first about who God is, about God's value system. You know, if I told you that I was, if I was queen, which would be so fun. But uh, if I rule that every Friday we have to eat sushi and chocolate cake, well, you would know from that that I really value sushi and chocolate cake, right? So when we're seeing God's laws, we are encountering his value system. We are seeing what he values so much that this is how he wants his people to live. And we also recognize how God set his people apart to be a living witness that contrasted The cultures around them. So some of the laws that we encounter that seem so bizarre to us, why would this be in the Bible? It's because there is another culture living at the same time as ancient Israel that did things differently. They were addressing the same issue in a way that did not glorify God and did not have God's value systems. So the Lord is saying, when you encounter that situation, here's how I want you to respond. So that is a little bit of a teaser, yes. yeah. for our, which we're going to go into, I say in depth, we're actually only going to have an hour to, to talk. So for what it's worth though, this is book number two. Book number two is Lord willing going to be on the old Testament laws. And so uh, it's, it's one of the things that not only are, causes such incredible confusion, but it has such an opportunity to tell us the heart of God for vulnerable women. And it's, that I, I hope um, we can we can have a whole generation of women learning and being captivated by as much as I was.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. I can't I know. wait for that book. I know. I feel like it's rare to be like I can't wait for a book on Leviticus and law. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) I mean, I'm excited about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about this book. I mean, like just some of the things that you have mentioned, it's like okay, like I, like I'm on board. Like I really, I feel like there's just such a need for it. So I'm, I'm super excited about that, Katie. We always ask this question, so we're, we're gonna ask you as well. What has marked you in your walk with Christ?
2: I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is, so I'm wired to uh, think in terms of what can I to achieve and accomplish for God. And one of the biggest lessons that I find is that the Lord will bring me back to a place of being instead of doing, um, that He wants my heart and my love, and even more than He wants uh, all of these things that I may want to do in the kingdom. In fact, I think my my favorite passage for Christian living is John 15. And uh, Jesus says, if you abide in my love, abide in my love, and we obey his commandments, not just to obey, not just to become better versions of ourselves, we obey in order to abide in his love. And that just turns all of my natural way of thinking upside down, that God is far more relational than I in my uh, own sort of comfort zone, like to be, I would be just fine if we really have to talk about things like feelings and we could just get on with activities and, and to-do lists. But the Lord is far more about inside out transformation and change than he is even over me obeying him perfectly. He would rather have a heart of love that obeys out of love for him than someone who um that just seems to have it all together and doesn't actually walk in the love of God for him and for others.
0: Hmm.
2: That's so good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like this is one of those episodes Elizabeth that people will need to go back and listen to again and again and they also need to and go and buy the book exactly yeah. so <laughs> definitely you know check this out we know that it comes out um,
2: Katie remind me again it's June June 6th, June it's, 6th. It's June for pre-order now um, and really exciting I'm uh, going to be reading the audiobook. And so you can you can get like, not only get the book, get the audio book and you'll like hear my jokes as I meant them. <laughs> and yes, it'll be it'll be like we're hanging out, except I do all the talking. <sighs> Depending on who you are in my not that unusual. But yes, you you can get the audio book as well. That's yes. awesome. And we know
0: you like to listen to audio because you're tuning into a podcast. So That's <laughs> right. That's right. Listen to the book on audio. Yes, and we'll have a link to purchase it or pre order it in the show notes so you can go there. And again, it's called To Be a Woman. Absolutely. Well, listeners, thanks again for joining us this week, and we'll be
1: back next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Kelly D. King and at
0: E.D. Heinman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.